Hello and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Electric and Wealthfront. I'm Simone de Rochefort, Senior Video Producer at Polygon, and I'm here today with Christina Warren, Senior Cloud Advocate at Microsoft. Brianna is still out again this week, but she will be back soon enough. Uh, to speak to you about all of the exciting things that we've gotten to talk about over the last couple of weeks, uh, namely Elizabeth Holmes and now BlackBerry. And wh- what else did we talk about last week? There was something that I specifically um, wanted Brianna's opinion on. Oh, gosh. <laughs> what did we talk about last week? Because last week was like a weird, like, post might Maybe it was Riot. I think it might have been that. I was yeah. going to say that was like a, a serious topic. Um, yeah. This week uh, we also have a very serious final topic, uh, which, which is which is a, a, a an island that that um ah. we might we, we might we might be moving to. But <laughs> finally, all three of us in the same place at the same time. Mm-hmm. Listeners, do you realize that this show has been running for? 367 episodes and the three of us have never been in the same place at the same time wait what seriously yeah i've met you yeah i've met brie uh-huh you've met brie yes the three of us have never been in the same place at the same time <laughs> that's right you weren't at wwdc that one year that's right when brie yeah. and i did kind of the weird live show with micah um yeah yeah okay my gosh all right well anyway (laughs) (laughs) we'll make it happen i mean i would say like i would be like oh let's 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 plan something but you know you know i don't plan things well i'm just saying i i would be very happy to like plan things but it's just i feel like planning travel for anybody right now is kind of like a bad idea it's chaos Speaking of people who who plan things, but on bump, <laughs> the verdict is in in Elizabeth Holmes' trial. Uh, they the jury debated for seven days over 40 fifty hours. hours, over fifty hours. Oh my yes, God. The, they Jesus. they came out and said, "Judge, we don't know what to do." And the judge said, "Go back to your room and think about it until you've come to a conclusion." And in the end, they did and did not because they delivered eight, uh, eight counts, eight decisions, and then three counts of uh, we don't know. So um, they convicted her on three counts of wire fraud, one of conspiracy to commit wire fraud for lying mm-hmm. to investors. Um, they found her not guilty on four other fraud related charges uh, connected to allegations that patients who who received uh, bad results from Theranos' machines were duped, basically saying, well, she didn't mean to dupe them. She was just duping her investors. And then there are three other counts uh, tied to investor fraud that they could not come to a decision on. And the judge will probably declare a mistrial for those. Um, and that at that point, the prosecution can decide whether they want to uh, bring the charges the again or not. money. Yes, to waste the yeah. taxpayers' money. Thank you. Um, sentencing has not happened yet, nor is it scheduled to happen. Uh, so we still do not have a conclusion on the most important question of all, which is who on this right. podcast owes who money. Exactly. Uh, the maximum sentence or penalty that she could face would be 20 years of prison. I don't think anyone thinks that she's going to get the max. Uh, I mean, especially with uh, three not guilty counts among the 11 charges that were brought against her. Or not guilty counts, three or th- um, dismissed counts, or th- three three not decided counts. Yes, yeah, sorry, four non guilty counts. Thank you. Um, so we, we finally do uh, have an answer, and now we are left to sort of analyze the fallout of this. Um, there, you know, there are sort of two tangential parallel conversations happening online, like, whether some people saying finally we have some kind of accountability in <laughs> Silicon Valley with VC related investment and other people saying, no, we obviously don't <laughs> because Holmes didn't take VC money. And also the the space has only gotten more intense since uh, since Theranos's fall from grace uh, several years ago. Yeah. 
Also, like, let's be clear again, she was convicted of defrauding the DeVos family and the Murdochs and the other well-heeled investors. She was not convicted of misleading or defrauding patients who received incorrect test results because of the the um, technology that, that she paid for through that fraud. So... You know, like the people who like were were claiming for justice for, if not for any of the the really sociopathic stuff she did, mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. the very run of the mill, like fake it till you make it, lie to investors stuff. Which, look, I it's going to be interesting to hear how they argue, you know, for um, her sentencing. Um, assuming you know they don't find some weird like a, a, I know obviously they're filing for appeal too, but. Like, it'll be interesting to, to hear, like, what their arguments are for, for for sentencing, because this is actually one of those weird cases where I'm kind of like, yeah, you know, there's, I don't know how um, much leeway the judge will have any of this, but but it's not a bad argument to be like, this is literally something that every other founder does. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's interesting to talk, to talk briefly about uh, the not guilty charges brought uh for her defrauding the patients was that just because did the argument to that boil down to like they had tested the blood on non-theranos machines therefore ostensibly Um, they should have gotten a good answer no no the 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 it basically came down to they felt like there was once she was one step removed from those decisions so so she couldn't be primarily responsible for that so um uh which on, on on the on the surface, I kind of understand. I can I can totally get why they would make that answer. On the other hand, I'm still sort of confused. I'm kind of like, okay, if you if you agree that she lied to investors about what the technology was, then to me it seems pretty clear that that technology obviously didn't do what she said it did. Which means that the advertising and what they did to Walgreens and and um you know who wasn't and and safe potentially Safeway and, and the patients, you know she she had like forethought into that mm-hmm. but i do understand um one of the jurors was interviewed and they basically said that they they didn't feel like you know felt like there was one step away that that was not under her purview whereas the um the fundraising stuff were her decisions so huh. that's basically where that came uh, what, what that came down to okay interesting oh yeah 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 Okay, I had another thought about this, and now I'm trying to remember uh, what that was. Uh, yes, so still waiting for sentencing. Mm-hmm. That will be a big deal. Uh, yeah, as Ashley Vance uh, wrote this great piece on Bloomberg about, uh, which everyone should read, is it is in the show notes, just about how Holmes's case fits in with the other fraud and scam cases that have existed in in the tech industry over the years that at every point has been sort of a watershed moment for us like enron for example or uh bernie madoff's whole deal where at some point we learn something about the financial industry we learn something about the dot-com boom and big tech uh and how this one, people have a temptation to treat it as another like watershed moment, but its moment has sort of already passed because mm-hmm. of the way that the industry uh, has developed with like, since, you know, Theranos, the explosion of SPACs in investing, um, the the ease with which people who aren't the made aren't the Madoffs, aren't the Murdochs rather, can put their money into um, into companies that are, you know, a potential Theranos or a potential good version of Theranos. Right, right. The, I mean, and and there are some that I think that, like, I think you could at least have the the plausible, I mean, even the jurors who, or at least the one juror who was interviewed, kind of said that, like, they believed that she believed in her technology yeah. and and that she, and, and they act, and, and actually found her quite likable and was like, oh, it was very difficult to convict her, someone who's so likable and, and you know, had so many, you know, like so many good intentions or good ideas, which, okay, so clearly she snowed at least one juror, like, mm-hmm. you know, like I think that those of us on the outside who, for very good reasons, were not on that jury, <laughs> you know, like see her as like sociopathic, uh, but like clearly she didn't come across that way on the stand. So... Instead, it was kind of like, okay, but 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 she knowingly maybe like misled about like what what certain claims were. Um, but uh, there are a lot of financial instruments and and companies and and including something we're going to be talking about for dessert, where I think you could argue 
that like the int- you can't even like squint and see that there was like hidden intent, right? Like like mm-hmm. it, that's why I liked his piece so much. Is like you know with, with her like it was almost like the Machiavellian like evil side. It was like oh this was like some big you know like 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 scam of of which is why we we love her like of of, of hoodwinking everyone and really making it look legit. Whereas with a lot of these things there's not even any pretense about it. It's mm-hmm. like a pure pump and dump. It's a pure, it's a pure scam. And like, there's not even any pretending that it's anything other than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you see that also uh, a lot in the, the YouTube influencer space oh, yeah. now as well with, you know, people like Tana Mongeau or she, she does pronounce it Mojo, right? Manjo, Mon- Mojo, I don't know. But yes, Tana, 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 Tana. Uh, you know, who are always coming out with these new products and selling them based on, you know, the desire of their fans. And it turns out the products are nothing like what they, you know, promise. They're not quality. It's just a, a, the product version of a pump and dump where they're just putting something out there just to sell well, to move well, yeah, product. And, and, and to, and to yeah. be fair to her, she's not selling them. She's like a front. She's promoting sure. some other company that's paying her to, to stay in front of it. But it's not any different than like the flat tummy tea people, like the influencers, you know, the go back to the Kardashians and whatnot. And like the, the people who are like, oh, this is going to do all these wonderful things. And it's like, no, it's not, you know. Um, but but the people who are the front of it just, you know, will, will say whatever they need to say to get paid. Um, you know, loot boxes. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that, you know what I mean, which are like complete scams. Yeah, um, like like the like the digital loot box stuff, which which play, prey on children. Yeah, like there's there's a lot of stuff that, at least in my mind, like there's not even a pretense. Like they don't even pretend. Like like back in my day, you yeah. know, our 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 scamstresses, Elizabeth Holmes and Anna Delby, like actually pretended to have their stuff together. You know, they actually like forged documents to make it look like Pfizer had helped make a study, <laughs> or like they actually had bank accounts. You know, that they, yes. they had hundreds of millions of dollars so that they could try to you know buy art um, galleries. They you know, actually to create- went to Morocco. <laughs> exactly. They actually went to Morocco. They actually convinced the hotel to let them stay for however many nights, you know, with without yeah. a credit card on file. Like they they did the hard work. Um, so, and this is not just because I, I will potentially be owing Brianna $500. Although again, I'm like waiting until sentencing. And like, honestly, even then I'm kind of gonna, I, I, she might push back me a little bit, but I'm gonna be like, okay, the day she enters jail, I will pay you because <laughs> until she actually enters jail, I'm still not convinced she will do any jail time. Um, her, her, her team was really good and, and who knows what appeal opportunities they might have. Um, uh, you know, uh, and, and if she does get sentenced, it's probably going to be two to three years and then she'll be off early with good behavior. I, I would point out Michael Milken. Obviously, these were different charges. His weren't wire fraud. It was SEC stuff. But he was single hand, not single handedly, but largely responsible for the stock market crash of 1987. And he um, kind of pioneered the concept of junk bonds and really uh, was one of the people that was part of the entire like uh, takeover um, mm-hmm. uh, kind of boom of the 80s. Um, responsible because of his insider tradings and the information that he had um, at um his uh, firm for hundreds of billions of dollars worth of of, of theft, to be completely honest, and that's mm-hmm. what it was. Uh, he did 22 months in jail and um and and had to pay oh, I don't yeah. I, maybe maybe 100 million in restitution, but he's still very rich and in fact was pardoned by by Trump, so he doesn't even have the convicted felon thing associated with him anymore. And most people, when they refer to Milken, and this has been the case for years, they're like, oh, the Milken Institute, and look at all these wonderful things they do. And I'm like, it's Michael Milken. The, the, <laughs> he's like literally like one of the biggest financial criminals like of our time. 22 months in jail. So um. If she gets more than that, I'm going to be pissed, to be honest. Yeah. So I actually, yeah, I, I, over the last couple days, I think I have come around more to Brianna's perspective on this or Brianna's conjecturing on this. I, I couldn't say why necessarily. Um, but I, I, I think I do see her getting a slap in the wrist jail sentence, like 12 months or something like that. Um, that doesn't seem totally unrealistic to me now, but no, and, no, I, and, I, and I we all that. we all hope that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I personally don't because I don't want to pay five hundred dollars. But like, if yes, she does, that's enough. fine. I but I will honestly at this point, I've almost coming around. Like I, I've been joking, but not joking. I kind of want to sell free Elizabeth. Um, 
uh, t-shirts to pay my my debt to Brianna. Um, uh, we, we could put the Rocket logo on them too. They could like double as Rocket merch. I don't know. Um, but uh, I, don't know, sell I, I, mean, I don't necessarily want my podcast associated with freeing Elizabeth Holmes, but I fully support you selling them for the right to get the money to pay off your debts. That's fine. I'll, I'll put I'll put my logo on it. I don't have to yes. put, put the podcast on it. That's fine. But um, you know, uh, but but if she does, I mean, I'm I'm fine with her her doing jail time. She should. But not, in my opinion, for, like, the things that she's been convicted of. Like, I feel like the things she's been convicted of were, like, the least problematic parts of the entire thing. So there's totally a big part agreement. of me. There's a part of me who's, who's kind of like, okay, well, if she's not going to get in trouble for the, again, the really sociopathic stuff, then I kind of would rather see her walk or at least get off as easily mm. as possible. Because, like... There, I, I, again, I, I feel like it depends on how, how you know, in her, um, her, like, lawyers want to go, depending on their appeal cases, that uh, th- this would probably dictate some of what they could argue. But it's like, it's, it was heralded for many, many years, fake it till you make it, was like a thing that people didn't just do in Silicon Valley, but they wrote case studies and books and literally people were lauded for it you know like yeah. like 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 people like um you know mark zuckerberg even going back to like you know bill gates like people were literally like heralded for all the ways that they would kind of lie to investors frankly about what the state of their stuff was and then pull out that rabbit at the last minute yeah. and, and everything would be fine now as we've discussed many times obviously what was different about her startup is that you're dealing with people's health and these are areas where you shouldn't be um, messing around. And and I think there is a demonstrable difference. However, like, that's not what she was convicted of. They said that she didn't have anything to do with those results. It, that's the thing. It, it kind of seems like they're trying for a worse of both worlds approach where, like you said, the, the, the reason that this is treated differently is because it's not just like a unicorn uh, electric hairbrush. It is medical information like it it is in the health industry of where the tech industry and the health industry collide and that's why it's being taken so seriously but yes like you said the people who suffered you know emotional distress over thinking like in the the ashley vance piece uh mentioned like a patient who was given the impression from her test results that she had had a miscarriage Uh, another one that i think we all saw the news report on who thought that her cancer had come back because of Mm -hmm. test results that she received um, those are the people that, yeah, if, if we're weighing suffering, you know, the Waltons losing some millions of dollars versus right. somebody thinking that they have cancer coming back. That's what I'm yeah, saying. I'm That's... comfortable making that. I'm comfortable weighing that suffering. <laughs> you know, especially since, you know, and, it, and I'd have to look and see exactly like what counts they weren't able to make a decision on because for some of the investors, they were, they did not buy uh, mm-hmm. At least, you know, their their arguments there there was there was not a decision, which means there will more than likely be a, a mistrial. Um, there was one investor who seemed, you know, obviously uh, the trial was not broadcast, which is a shame on many levels. But um, based on the the podcast listening that I was doing, there was one investor who did seem like he was actually very informed and asked the right questions. And I feel like there was a complete fraud case to make for him. Right? Mm-hmm. Some of the investors, though, literally admitted that they had FOMO. And that yeah. they didn't want to ask a lot of questions because they felt like time was of the essence. And so they just wanted to put their money in. Those people, I'm going to be honest, most people like regular investors for people who are buying cryptocurrency or are buying meme stocks or buying real stocks or doing other things, they don't get those benefits of the doubt. You know what I mean? Like no. you, you you make your investment. You didn't do your due diligence. Because it's and a risk. And, and, you're always right, taking and, a risk when you invest. And, 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 and the information that, that you heard, you know, was, was not correct okay, people are like, well, it's too bad. You know what I mean? Like yeah. th- those aren't um, uh, people who have any sort of recourse. But in this case, and in most cases where you try to allege fraud against, you know, a, a company, like to be totally honest, I don't even know, like it- it's it's weird to me, at least the thing she got convicted of. Obviously it's a crime. I'm not trying to claim otherwise, but she, but the real crime seemed like the stuff that she settled with the SEC over. So mm. this is one of those cases where, um, if, if this had not had the outsized media attention, I do not think there ever would have been a criminal component to this at all. I think that it would have been settled with the SEC and it, she never would have been like the, the, the feds, she never would have been in, in court for, for the uh, crime she's against. It would have mm-hmm. been settled and, and it would be over. Um, there might've been a, sus- a suspended sentence at most, but I think because of the, the tremendous media attention around it, that was what propelled this forward, which, in some ways, 
does kind of feel unfair. And I'm not defending her at all. It's just sort of interesting that the media was, and I think we've talked about this before, they were her, the thing that kind of propped her up and maybe allowed the scam to get to what it was, but also were completely responsible for the downfall. Because if, if, Mm-hmm. You know, if, if she hadn't, if this hadn't been such kind of a an interesting kind of case for all the reasons it was interesting, I do not think that the government would have invested as many years as they did in bringing this to trial, as many months as they did, you know, trying the case and and ultimately kind of poorly. You know what I mean? Yeah, this has all the ingredients of, as we know, a Hulu limited series because it is. <laughs> right. That's what makes it appealing. Um, briefly, because because you mentioned it and it's going around on Twitter, the standout line from the Vance piece in Bloomberg is, if someone is selling you a cryptocurrency based on a dog meme, they should have the decency to don a nice costume, adopt an accent, and vacuum you into their unblinking yes. gaze instead of simply spending a few minutes writing a Reddit post explaining how you can be rich too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Let's have some standards in our fraudsters. No, that's what I'm saying. Have some respect, right? Like, again, back in my day, like our fraudsters, like at least tried. Like they they had accents and costumes and red lipstick. I will say when we get to our dessert topic, I think we can make the argument that they're trying. Maybe. I hope so. All right. We will get there, though. But you have to sit and wait. (laughs) Hey, this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Electric. If you're striving to build a small business into an empire, you're going to want to hear this. Because you know that one second you're dreaming up the big idea that's going to double your business, the next second you're cleaning the latte sludge out of your intern's laptop, because that's the reality of being a boss. And also hearing their emotional problems, which is my favorite part of being a boss. The team over at Electric knows small businesses, maybe like yours, face challenges like this. That's why they've solved this problem for you by operating as your IT department. Instead of spending your time sorting through unused application licenses, setting up employee laptops, and answering never-ending IT questions from your team, you can build the empire that you're building. With Electric acting as your IT department, you can get back to doing what you're good at. Plus, you get a really cool IT platform to see and manage everything while they handle the latte sludge. So sorry to the, the IT people who have to handle the latte sludge, but it is a reality. Um... Yes, if I I think if I were building a business that involved other people, the amount of time that just I personally, a person who works for a company that has an IT, IT department, that I spend trying to do things like figure out where the heck the Red Giant licenses are today. Why are they working? What's going on with my laptop? Why is it, you know... Why has it stopped charging? I'm sure it's not because it's from 2015. Leave me alone. It takes up a lot of time for me as just a person who's working. And if I, you know, in a small business where the the boss is, you know, the person you go to with your problems because um, you're all, you know, trying to hustle together, <sighs> that would take up a lot of freaking time. So let's correct it now. For Rocket listeners, Electric are offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones for taking a qualified meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash rocket to set it up. That is electric.ai slash rocket to get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones today for scheduling a meeting. Our thanks to Electric for their support of this show. That rolls over those headphones. That's awesome. I need to found a company. Does anyone have a business idea really quick? Um, yes. So we're, we'll have to talk about this more in a future episode, but um, the FBI accused a man of stealing unpublished book transcripts. Oh, yeah. That's going to be next week's dessert for so, sure. So I think that that's what we should do. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that we should launder the stolen um, <laughs> uh, uh, manuscripts. I think that, I that, that's going to that be our next I don't think that Electric is going to like it if we do that. <laughs> I mean, they probably won't, but like they won't be responsible for it. No, it's they our won't. Problem. That's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm saying it'll be our problem. We can just use them for all of our, our back end services. We're the ones who are going to jail here. OK, exactly. Exactly. Not you, Electric. We love you. No. Yeah. OK. Hey, listen, you know what else we love? <laughs> Sorry. This week, it has the long projected event has finally happened. BlackBerry mm-hmm. has pulled support for its legacy BlackBerry phones. Uh, those legacy phones uh, will no longer be able to receive or send text messages or other data or make phone calls or contact 911 over cellular networks or Wi-Fi. 
pour one out. Uh, this has been a very long time coming. The company pivoted from making physical phones in 2016 and the decommissioning, this particular decommissioning was announced in 2020. Uh, the new Android phones, uh, the, the new Android Android Blackberries that Blackberry made with TCL will not be affected. But those aren't the phones that have the nostalgic following that everyone loves. It's these OG phones from the age just before the iPhone. And, and after a little bit. And after. Before and after and during the iPhone. Uh, this comes at a time, of course, when a lot of people are mourning the relative simplicity of that earlier era in tech, when online communities were more siloed and when technology was more single purpose and less all around distracting uh, in the New York Times obituary for the BlackBerry uh, Kevin Michaluk, the founder of Crackberry, talks Crackberry about Kevin. Yeah, how today's devices just bombard you with all kinds of stuff that you can and should do, whereas BlackBerry just let you check your dang email. Uh, famous BlackBerry users, of course, include former President Barack Obama, who had a tech team. They He would let the BlackBerry go from his cold, dead hands, so a tech team... Uh, took it and fixed it up so that he could only send or receive messages from a group, a small group of like 20 vetted contacts. And they took away his headphone jack and his microphone. So he was perhaps an early adopter, uh, not of Bluetooth headsets, but of phones that don't have headphone jacks at all. Um, And of course, another famous BlackBerry user is our very own Christina Warren. Uh, How are you taking the news? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I mean, Kim Kardashian was the next one I was thinking of. Well, yeah, but I don't have her as my co-host on the podcast. Okay, this is this is fair. I'm just saying, like, we were talking about like like well-known like BlackBerry. And users, she still like, uses it, right? No, 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 no. She she stopped a number of years ago, but oh, she shame. had like backups. In fact, I the last BlackBerry review I wrote, which was in 2017, and it was for the first TCL phone or the second one, but the first one that had a keyboard on it. Um, I, I it was something like, "Dear Kim Kardashian, I found your new BlackBerry" or something oh. like that. Um, and, and that was like the, the way that we did the whole, um, uh, the conceit of the review, but, um, no, I mean, I used one before I had an iPhone and, um, I liked to rag on and kind of make fun of BlackBerry a little bit because of their foibles, but I do agree with, with Crackberry Kevin a bit. And I, I'm thinking back, like it is the nostalgia talking, but I'm kind of like, okay, what BlackBerry morphed into and and when they tried to be a real smartphone and tried to add all the stuff that the iPhone and all the, you know, Android had on top of it was a, a mess because of the, fundamentally it was a pager with, with email that then they like tried to bolt like actual like services onto and then they, they just couldn't get it. And then they redesigned their mobile operating system and nobody had any apps for it. And that was kind of a, a weird thing. And then they, you know, had like this weird like like passport shaped phone that was like really huge and square that like, uh-huh. no one understood and then they had like the their first android phone that they made that was like giant but had like a a a, um, a sliding keyboard that slid down it, the whole thing you know like they had a lot of they had oh my god they had the tablet that they introduced oh my god <laughs> you, are you aware of the blackberry tablet i am not aware of the blackberry tablet tell me about okay. it Okay, so it was called the Playbook, and it came out in um, 2011 um, after the iPad. And by the time it was finally introduced, the iPad 2 had actually already come out, which was a problem because this thing was seven inches, it was, um, which, you know, at the time was, I think it was one of the first seven-inch tablet designs. And, and this is back when Steve Jobs was kind of making fun of that size. But most of the other competitors were doing, like, the 10-inch the, the size. Um, this one was seven inches. Um, it has some interesting kind of ideas, but here was the kicker. You know, the one thing BlackBerry was always known for, like always, was email and the fact mm-hmm. that that it had a really good email experience. Well, the playbook, which is what this was called, when it launched, could not do email, <gasps> oh, um, no. which is hilarious. The only way you could do email is you would have to have like an old school BlackBerry phone because this is before they had BlackBerry 10. So like the old school slow as, slow as hell ones. You would have to pair it to the playbook in something called bridge mode. Oh. This application would open where you could see the emails that were on your phone. You could see it on your tablet, but the two had to be paired together. And then you could like type your response and you could send it off and it would send it through your phone. But if you didn't have your phone nearby, you couldn't pull up your email. So yeah, it had a web browser, which you know at the time was okay. And you could pull up, you know, webmail or whatever. But if you clicked on a link someplace to send a mail, like 
you know, you couldn't open that in a web browser. And, um, you know, it, that it sounds like, like a it, nightmare. It was. And it was so poorly designed. I remember when like this one of the CEOs, because they had two CEOs at the same time, which is also a whole thing. Um, he was very proud of himself when he showed me the playbook. And he was like very proud that he could connect it to like a TV and like stream like HDMI content off of it or something. And, and I was kind of like, okay, you know, and, and I'm kind of like waiting. I'm like, you know, I mean, and, and it's not like that would, I mean, and that was fairly unique then, but it wasn't like that was like a, a going to be a, a breaking feature, but he was like so happy with this thing. And I kept being like, okay, so, but, but the email stuff, oh, well, you know, we, we, we really think that people for, for security will want to keep it on their device and, and just want to kind of look at it and, and have it paired in this way. And this is but really going to be the best way to do it. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, so the whole thing was a mess. So the playbook is probably my favorite of the many BlackBerry disasters. And there are so many of them. I'd wanted us to get Kevin Mitchluck, uh on um, the, the pod. Maybe we'll have him on at another time because he actually just bought back crackberry.com. Um, and is going to relaunch, and it's kind of more of a personal thing that will be about tech, but not really about Blackberries. Um, he uh, was one of the, the founders of, of Mobile Nations, which sold to Future, and um, and but he started Crackberry back in 2006, I, I want to say. And um, you know, I, I used to have a lot of fun with him and um, the other Mobile Nations people at their parties and the the stuff that they would they would do at Blackberry World, but. Uh, as a company that I made fun of for a long time, like I'm like weirdly nostalgic yeah. and, and kind of sad about, I'm kind of like, you know, RIP to a simpler time. But you know, what I was saying is like, they made all these mistakes, but I do feel like the core fundamental product before they like try to be a smartphone, when it was just like a texting tool, like a texting calendar email tool mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. pretty great. And I'm not going to lie. If I could get a device now that had really good battery life, that literally just had my email, my calendar, and like Slacker teams on it. And I couldn't do anything else with it. And I didn't have any other things that had really good battery life. And like that was the device. And I didn't have to have any of that other stuff on my, on my normal phone. I would buy and pay for that device. I'm not saying there are a lot of us who would, but there is a part of me that does kind of miss that ability to just have that one thing that was really good that you would get your little blinking light and you would see that an email came in and you could reply and you'd be done with it and it was fast and like the battery lasted a really long time and and you, you don't know, end up checking twitter at the same time exactly <laughs> well that was the thing right because you kind of couldn't i mean like there were some twitter apps but they were terrible like that was the thing like you were kind of forced into just being like okay well i just have this kind of more unique experience mm-hmm. and when i used a blackberry um this was back when they used to charge you per text message so BlackBerry was a really great way to get around that because you weren't charged by how many emails you could send. And then there was BBM, BlackBerry Messenger, which people used kind of in place of text messaging. So you could send and, and you could also get normal IM on your BlackBerry. So like you could send people, you know, messages on like um, on, on, on AOL Instant Messenger or, or you know, Gchat or, or Yahoo Messenger fun. or whatever, which was really fun. So for a lot of us, like, because we had to pay five cents a text message, which I, I cannot believe that 10 years ago, that was still a thing that a lot of people had to pay for. A lot of us just BBM'd. Like, that was yeah. what we did. And and so it was, you know, for a lot of people, that was kind of their currency. And, and email was a thing, too. And it would happen instantaneously. Like, I had a I had a side. I like my sidekick more than I like my, my Blackberries. But I like my Blackberries. But they were, you know, they started for business users. Then they went to consumer. Consumers loved them for a little bit. And then the iPhone, obviously ate the world. But I do have some nostalgia for kind of that simpler time, you know, when I didn't feel like everything was all on my phone at once. And it was kind of nice. I I didn't have a job then, you Mm -hmm. know, the same way that I do now. So I couldn't really appreciate it. But I have to think like there, I would totally, if I could like have uh, just a dedicated work device that didn't mean spending another $1,500 on a second phone and then paying $90 for a second data line. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I would love to have just a dedicated on, on like, your imaginary device. sort of your your imaginary new BlackBerry that just BlackBerry. does yeah uh, email, text, etc. Do you picture that in the same form factor as the OG, or would it be more like some kind of like tablet with the built-in keyboard? What does that fantasy device look like to you? I think to me, yeah, it would be similar to the OG. It might be um a, like they had a classic BlackBerry Classic, which is what they came out with like in 2013 or something, I want to say. And it had a color screen and it had this trackpad, but it did have a touch screen and keyboard. That would probably be like what I would think because even though 
I'm way faster on a virtual keyboard than I would mm-hmm. be, you know, at like typing away those things. There was something nice about having that kind of keyboard experience. But I think better than that, like having like that kind of squared off screen thing was really good for reading text. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's not great for browsing the web, but it was good for like reading and writing messages. So yeah, that's kind of what I would think. Maybe maybe a little bit different, but yeah, something like that, or or even something kind of like a like the like the Surface Duo, but you know, with like a physical maybe keyboard component to it. I don't know. I saw somebody. It might have been you. Was it you who was tweeting about the the sort of luxury aspect of the BlackBerry and like the idea that it was people who needed to be replying to their emails right. wherever I, they I were. I was not. I was not, but that is very true. Like, I found that it, again, so that interesting. Because like, that, again, goes into, like, this sort of idealized simplicity of it that, like... Totally. Well, right. Because when it started, it was an enterprise device. And and I was not a user then. But but when it started, you know, the, the devices weren't that expensive, but they had, to ha- they had like, a separate service plan. And and RIM did sell their own um, a BlackBerry um, uh, information system, Biz, but how a lot of people did it is they had something called like BlackBerry Enterprise Server, which was um, uh, Bez. And how that worked is that it basically was like a server that like companies would have to install alongside their mail stuff. So they had like Exchange or Lotus Notes or whatever it was set up. And then they had like the BlackBerry software. And that would basically run um, as kind of an interface in between the email links. So basically an email would hit the BlackBerry enterprise server, then it would like route things to your device. And it would also route things to like your normal mailbox. And and that way things could be secure. And that's how it handled the message handling. And that's why um, for like a lot of people, like they would say, oh, I get my emails faster on my BlackBerry than I do on my desktop. And, um, and so when it's, when the company started, um, uh, it started in, in, in the early nineties, but when like the BlackBerry itself kind of took off, like in like 1999, 2000, there are a lot of the earliest users were like stockbrokers and people who were very important and needed to always be on the go. So like mm-hmm. the financial services industry was like, it was a, a huge component. And, and at the time too, they use like a very unique um, cellular network that uh, almost no one else was using because this was back before we even had kind of data networks to be able to send things with. So it, it was pretty innovative at, at, at its time, like what they were doing in the early days with radios and, and stuff. Yeah. And and yeah, the idea was very much like you are important enough that you have to have this. Now, by the time I got my first BlackBerry, it, it was consumers were using them and we were all pretending we were important enough and we were kind yeah. of using them as glorified smartphones. It, the sidekick was probably more like what my generation, I would say, like that was kind of our kind of introduction and, and that was more for text messaging, less for for emails. But but yeah, for business people, they would totally be like, yes, I am so important. I have to have my email. Well, I think that that's a link to the 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 nostalgia that's around it now is because now we are, so many of us are answering emails from wherever the heck we are and we're right. working from home and we're greasy in our beds and we're always connected. And it's not because we're important. It's just because it's expected of us. Exactly. And that, I have to say, is probably the the downfall, Not both of the company and also, I think, probably the, the lasting negative influence of BlackBerry. Um, one of the things, there were many, many things that brought the company down. And there's actually a great book that came out in 2015 called Losing the Signal, the Rise and Fall of Research in Motion. And it doesn't go through the latter years of the company. So you don't really get to see the John Chen saga and their attempts in, you know, in, into Android and all that stuff. But um it's a really good look at uh, the the first um, two co-CEOs, uh, Mike Lazaridis and Jim Balsilli. And um, what was interesting is, again, like it was an enterprise device that then consumers love. Like Oprah made it one of her favorite things, I think, in 2004. And, and you know, it really started to kind of take off and kind of had a, a zeitgeist moment. But one of the things that both it hurt and killed was it did popularize the idea of making it so people could reach you anywhere at any time. Mm-hmm. And 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 that was the first device to really do that because although there have been pop pilots and some other things, it was the first one where people could reliably send and receive information from wherever they were. And um, the, the downside too was that, but one of the things that kind of hurt it was that what wound up happening is as things like the iPhone became more popular, people didn't want to give up their iPhones. They wanted to, to be able to, they didn't want to have to also use a crappy BlackBerry. So, 
you know, this whole movement of bring your own device started where, you know, it used to be that if you wanted to use like a work device, like your IT department had to approve it and it had to be procured and it was very locked down. And over the last 15 years, that is not really the case. And at this point, you know, like I'm on my personal machine right now that is is mm-hmm, intuned. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so my company has the right to say, okay, we need to install this type of software on it, but it's, I own it. You know what I mean? It does not belong to them. Um, and, and, and they have certain policies so I can access certain information and they can wipe that information when I'm done with it. But I use my own device and that is an expected thing. And it, it is an expected thing that I, you know, have access to my mail and my other stuff wherever I am. They don't pay for a phone for me. Yeah. Um, if I traveled a lot, they would, but they don't pay for one for me. And that's, that sucks. And it's funny because, you know, BlackBerry wasn't early enough on that train. And so they were blindsided when everybody was just like, well, instead of buying Blackberries, we're just going to put our stuff on our personal iPhones. And then the companies are like, great, now we don't have to spend $500 on a phone and pay for phone service. We can just make our employees do that. And they will literally always be connected. Um, so I feel like that was, in some ways, was like, it's, it's been a negative impact of all of that. And, and, and ironically, that was also one of the things that brought down the company was, was their own success of that is that other, yeah, that now everyone realize, needs to do that. <laughs> right. And then people realize, oh, we don't need to use the BlackBerry servers as a middleman. Then those were the servers they shut off incidentally, you know, it was, yeah. it was their last kind of middleman kind of things. But, um, uh, yeah, people should definitely read that, that book though, losing the signal. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, what a weird, what a weird company. It's just so funny to think about that yeah. 15 years ago, that was like the state of the art thing. And like, it was a massive brand. Like it's hard to understate, like it was huge, you know, mm-hmm. and basically gone, like in, in the span of a decade, like goes from being like ubiquitous to being like, yeah, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. And without, I think so much of the, the, the sour feeling that goes with other, you know, first gen tech products. Although, as you said, there, there is still some sour feeling, but there's a lot of nostalgia too. At this point, I think that it has been long enough and most people moved away early enough that it didn't, it, it like became sad that they were still trying, mm. but, but it wasn't as if people were like, they, they became defenseless and defanged in a way that exactly. let people feel soft about it. Completely. Right. Like, that's the thing. That's even what I found, because this was a company that I used to rightfully criticize. Like, I read some of my old things, like criticizing them, like where I was arguing in 2015, just stop selling phones already. Yeah. Um, And look what you did. (laughs) Well, no, but I was right. I mean, from a business perspective, it completely made sense. I was like, why are you even bothering? Like, this is just sad. And, and and I would like look at the the hubristic kind of mistakes they made and be kind of angry at them because like I was almost like you've had all of this and then you just like let it go. And now I kind of look back and I'm like, OK, you made a lot of mistakes, but A, I don't know if you could have solved it. And B, now, as you say, it's defanged. And I just kind of look back. And I'm like, oh, you know, yeah. I, I liked my BlackBerry back then. I, I wouldn't want to continue using it and and I, and whatnot. But 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 I liked it for for what it was. And I kind of miss those simpler times when phones were fun. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll pour one out for BlackBerry. I think Brianna's sad she couldn't be here tonight to talk about it. Uh, But perhaps we shall have some words from her on it next week. For now, let me tell you that this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Wealthfront. The beginning of a new year is a great time to finally start things like adapting habits, reassessing your productivity, or thinking about your financial future. Or maybe you don't plan on getting off your couch in 2022. Well, you can still do a useful thing while you sit there and check out Wealthfront.com. You can start investing in no time with Wealthfront's classic portfolio, or you can make it your own with things that you care about, like socially responsible funds, technology, crypto trusts, or hundreds of other investments. Wealthfront was designed by financial experts to help you turn your good ideas into great investments without the hassle of doing everything yourself. Don't want to spend hundreds of hours trying to lower your tax bill? They help you do that. Not sure how to rebalance your portfolio or what rebalancing is? They do it for you automatically. Wealthfront is trusted with over $28 billion in assets, helping nearly half a million people build their wealth. And the best part is their product is simple and powerful. It has 4.9 and a half stars in the Apple App Store. To start building your wealth and get your first $5,000 managed for free for life, go to wealthfront.com slash rocket. That is W-E-A-L-T-H-F-R-O-N-T dot com slash rocket to start building your wealth. 
Go to Wealthfront.com slash Rocket to get started today. Our thanks to Wealthfront for their support of this show and Relay FM. Now, time for the promised dessert. Delicious as it is. <laughs> A video, an unlisted YouTube video has been making the rounds today for some marvelous place called Cryptoland. Mm-hmm. Cryptoland. Um, the reaction to this has mostly been is this satire? And I'm honestly still, I'm not totally convinced that it isn't, but let me explain first what it is. It is a okay. promotional video such as you would see at a, a an investment meeting or something where a company has come to promote their incredible new product and the incredible new product is physical, a physical island, a land that is a physical, actual island um, that this company... Cryptoland ostensibly wants to build into like a physical crypto paradise retreat where people can go and they can buy property there and live there and do their work together and party together and be on the beach together and have a great and wonderful time Uh, to sell the physical the, the idea of the physical island, the physical dream. They put together a CG promotional video, um, which looks just like the metaverse <laughs> of, yeah. of the ideal crypto uh, lover arriving at the island and having a marvelous day going to the uh, to the riding the crypto kitty floats on the beach, um, going to a beautiful house, uh, going to an arcade and a like gambling hall that is built in a big pyramid. Everything is full of inside jokes, crypto related inside jokes and stuff, like all the names of the things, all the like art that's around. Uh, it's very, very uh, in the know, tongue in cheek kind of way. Um, and then also within this larger promotional video, it cuts to like a live pitch session with Cryptoland's uh, founders. You're, 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 you're missing the, the parody um, um, Grease song. I missed the parody Grease song, yes. I was watching this on 1.5 times speed. Yes, the animated video also includes a musical sequence where uh-huh. everyone breaks out in song and dance. I'm sorry that I... <laughs> no, because that's very important <laughs> because, because, because they, they literally are are, are um, making like a, a homage to Grease's You're the One That I Want, um, but about crypto, and it is a lot. Yes. It is so and th- much. And, and and then there is the live pitch session. Live pitch session and sit down interview with a couple of the founders. I believe Helena Lopez and Max Olivier uh, were the two so. people who were present in that part of it. Uh, who are who, I, I? I've been poking around on freaking Twitter just trying to because I saw this and I was like, "There's no way that this is real." Um, because no, it, it really, really, really genuinely does feel like Firefest three. It, look, it, feel, <laughs> 3. it feels it, look, it feels like it would be somebody who is doing a very on the nose parody thing. Um, I have very strong reasons to believe this is actually real, but mm-hmm. I, I I yeah. If it were fake, I would I would be so impressed. Both of the the Twitter accounts of everyone who is listed on the website, they're all, you know, they've been around since at least I mean, I think the newest one is from 2015, but the others are from like 2009, um, 2012, et cetera, et cetera, which obviously doesn't mean they're necessarily real, but um, they're old accounts. They're not new accounts. Um, and they are getting, they want your money so that they can build crypto land. I am heartened to say that there is at least one architect on the website, Misha Huggett, a real architect. <laughs> who is the lead architect for this project, um, still leaves a lot of questions. This video is absolutely un... It, it, it's hard for me to describe, honestly. Like, I, I've, I've finished my description now, but that doesn't cover a fraction of the madness of it. No, it's a lot. So this was shared with me. When I watched it yesterday, I think it had 131 views. And so somebody in one of my group chats had seen the initial tweet thread um, that, that, that Molly um, uh, sent out kind of about it that, that blew this thing up. And I started watching it and everybody in our group chat, we were watching it. And, and as we were kind of coming up to it, we were all just going agog. And, and I was like, <laughs> okay, 
archive this because my first thought I was like this is going to get taken down and this is too good to be taken down yes you know so like archive this YouTube DL this stuff and as at first I kind of was like okay maybe this is parody because this does feel really cringe like on every level this is just terrible but the more it went on the more deeply they were doing I was like no somebody spent a lot of money on this and it it struck me that they spent money in a way that was not spent like this would be a funny parody thing, but as in like a no, we're actually trying to get people to buy our fake island thing. You know and, that's and- that's true because as I was watching the the CG uh, pitch video with like its little narrative about the guy arriving at the island, it, it genuinely like the the editing of it and the the creativity of some of the cuts, like there, there's genuine like work that was put into this it doesn't feel like somebody's first effort it doesn't feel like it was done by somebody who isn't you know a professional marketer and animator if that makes sense 100 um and yeah like like it it felt very much like you know somebody who paid some company or somebody to, to do this and and i don't know just the the, the joke the way that they were making it seem i was just like this feels too earnest um, to to be parody, and if it had been parody, I would have loved it. And then I saw the real people, and I was like, "Oh no, these these are actual scam artists, uh, alleged." <laughs> this is my opinion, but but these are actual like that. That's just how I feel about it. Uh, and then uh, Molly uh, White, who was was tweeting about this, um, did uh, like like her her tweet storm was really good, and she I didn't I didn't even have to look into any of the details around any of it because I knew immediately what the grift was. Because I've I've been following these sorts of things for so long because I love these sorts of scams. Um, this is just one of the the more like outrageous ones I've ever yes. seen because the video is just so much. But the the interesting thing with this, I mean, it's, this is not an uncommon thing where where people will be like, let's buy an island and let's move into it. And then what winds up happening is if anybody watched any of the Fire Festival documentaries, you find out that okay, there's no infrastructure on the island. And the island is actually owned by someone else. And the money that you're putting down isn't actually enough for, you know, to, to get anything done. And and it might not even be habitable, right? Like they don't have any of the things there. So, you know, people who are spending like a million dollars, which is what it would cost for them to get like a, a piece of land if somebody were to spend that much on it. It's like, okay, if you were to, to multiply that by however many pieces they have, like that still wouldn't even come close to paying for what this island would be, assuming they could even get mm-hmm. one, right? Um, it, not to say nothing of, okay, yeah, well, what's your infrastructure? What's, uh, you know, can you even create infrastructure? Like how far away are you from other things? Like how how can you set this up? Like what are, what are the, you know, like what's the, like... You know what, what? What country is this under? Like there are all these questions, but these things are common in yeah. get rich quick things, and you see this a lot in kind of like you, in in all types of internet scams where people will try to be like, oh, we have this like uh, utopian idea of let's just go and raise a bunch of money and go to these places, and you know it, it just it's just taking money from people. You know, it's like like selling swampland in you know Florida you know, which is like a, a common, you know, motif of like, oh, I've got some land in Florida, I'm going to sell you or whatever. And it's like, yeah, and, and you're going to lose it because you buy a small plant in Florida, like what are, you can't do anything with it um, uh, unless you're Walt Disney and you somehow manage to erect a park in Orlando, which incredible, but also costs a ton of money and, and required a, a, a tremendous amount of work to get all the, the piping and stuff done. But like what it struck me as is two things. Once I was watching this and I kept being like, they want people to pay to be around the people who would make a video like this. And I just mm. can't think of anything worse in my mind. Can you think of anything worse than paying to be around those types of people? Because I can't. Well, I think obviously for me it would be terrible. But the thing about this is it feels like it's really riding on the coattails of things like Board Ape Yacht Club which oh, yeah. like did this they you know they made their nightclub in new york over over crypto week here um and like there clearly is a desire to meet in the physical space as well as in the metaverse oh yeah totally uh, totally go like going to re- retreating to a like a, an ice a separatist community on an island to do to do your your fun coding and stuff it's uh, it's weird to me (laughs) it's a recipe for murder for mayhem 
but also like Board Ape Yacht Club, like that's not an island. Like that was kind of a an accidental kind of success. And a lot of people or some people got rich off of it. And then a lot of people have wasted money on like the meme or whatever. Um, but there have been a lot of these communities over the years where like, oh, we'll just get a, a whole like group of, of like-minded people together and we'll go move in to have our own kind of, you know, like, you know, commune or whatever. Yeah. That's how cults start. And a lot of cults are also Ponzi schemes. Like, they're not actually that different in a lot of cases. And mm-hmm. they cost a lot of money. Like, Jonestown was not that different in some ways. I mean, like, hey, we're going to go to Guyana and we're going to, like, take all your, your money and we're going to, like, you know commit mass suicide but like you Ish. know what i mean like a worst case just, scenario worst case i'm just saying that like these things aren't that different in terms of like getting people to buy into these dreams yeah and usually the people who for instance the irony is they were like oh well we want to have like the biggest players in crypto here and, and it'll be important for them all to have a presence on the island and and like that's the whole appeal to authority thing when you know that none of the people involved in any of the big coins would ever go anywhere near an island like this. Why? Because A, they will buy their own islands that you won't be invited to because they're not going to give you a timeshare spiel type of sales pitch, right? Like, 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 Peter Thiel and Elon Musk and all those guys, like, they buy their own freaking places, right? Like, they don't, they don't want to, like, go with the plebs. So people that you, like, target for these scams are the people who want to believe that they too could one day be part of this, right? Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I mean, look, um, it's it's uh it's hilarious though. The the video was the earnestness, I wish it were satire, but it was just so much. And and I just kept thinking, I was like, I cannot imagine wanting to spend time with anyone who would actually take this seriously or think about this in a serious way. Like I think that would be my idea of hell, to be completely honest. It makes me think about, um, so Avery Truffleman did this great podcast with Curbed called Nice Try. And the first season of that is all about utopias and the many attempts to create utopian communities that, Mm -hmm. you know, no matter what the intentions of the creator are, even if they are genuinely humanitarian good intentions, utopias fail over and over and over again. yeah. And I don't think communities fail. Yeah. I don't necessarily know that the founders of Cryptoland would call it an attempted utopia, but it, it reminds me of that, that same, the, the language of utopia is all over the, the video and the pitch. Well, yeah. Well, again, because it's all about separating people from their money and it's all about getting people to buy into this idea and this dream, right? Like, mm-hmm. even though they don't actually have anything, like they don't actually own the island. They don't actually have any of the infrastructure. It's in Fiji, which they didn't even say where it was and a lot of the things people looked into it. Like, if you go to their Discord, like it's in Fiji, which is a place which is having like tremendous, you know, like uh, climate issues right now. Um, but also a lot of these islands are notoriously like bad places to try to build actual things. I mean, again, this yeah. is why if we watch the Fire Festival documentaries, What's the like we see situation. <laughs> precisely how many toilets can you get in? What's your plumbing situation? Like there's a lot of stuff that we could learn from Fire Festival about how not to throw like a, a concert series yeah. because you you need to spend a lot of money to do that. Also this is not related to anything, but I'm looking at the the webpage right now, cryptoland.i mm-hmm. is the island is literally, or at least the picture of the island that's here is literally shaped like a dolphin, like mm-hmm. comically so. It has a fin, it has flippers, it has a tail and a nose. It right. doesn't it really look freaking real. It's it, it's also <laughs> like completely like it's like other than like some of the, the the stock beach photos they have, like the the way that they kind of have it looking like if you look at like one of the, the photos they have um in um if you go uh, down past the hero thing, the, mm-hmm. the second kind of slideshow area, it's like mostly vegetation. Like all you see are trees. And I'm like, yeah. that's a problem. Yeah. Like how are you dealing with that root situation? Honestly. <laughs> like 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 that that seems like a, a real problem. Like how like how how can you kind of build on this? Because um, if anybody ever watched Mr. Beast's video when he bought, like, you know, somebody could win a private island and then the kid won the private Aww. island. But like, you know what I mean? He wouldn't keep the private island. It's like, yeah. no, this is this is this is the thing that he was able to pay for. And then the kid can like sell it and try to get some cash for it. But it's like, no, getting infrastructure onto this sort of thing is not a small thing. That's why really that's why Richard Branson and like very few other people like have their own. You need that kind of money, though, like. Honestly, like like Board Ape Yacht Club, I, I look at that and I'm like, okay, that's also Billy McFarlane Griff. That's like, you know, when he tried to do his uh, version of a like a like a broke black card, like with the 
you know, their, their, their fake Soho house. That's like, yeah. That's that that's kind of like board ape yacht club is how I see that. I'm like, okay, they went on like crypto bro um uh, Soho House, which is probably just Soho House at this point. But um uh that I almost feel like could work because you could probably get a lot of like-minded lower level plebes to pay for a membership fee mm-hmm. to like meet in person spaces thinking they're going to be around like cool people, but really it's just other like low hanging like like hangers on who want to get higher up there. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Like, 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 like the wing. I feel like that could work, right? Bring back the wing, but make it an make make it crypto. That that'll work. That's gonna happen one hundred percent. Oh, one thousand percent. If it hasn't already, then I'm starting it tomorrow. Not even. Well, <laughs> ha- I'm, I'm half this serious. This is how you're I'm, gonna I'm pay not. off the the. This is how I'm gonna pay bet. off Rihanna. I'm gonna I'm gonna start like um um um, a crypto bro house. Um and um uh, <sighs> it, it'll be great. But almost like, but it feels like that would be an attainable scam. Whereas this, shoot, you could use WeWorks that are not being utilized right now. Oh, oh my God. Yes. Honestly, I'm not e- like, this is not even a terrible idea. Oh but my God. Somebody's, somebody's totally going to do it. But honestly, this isn't, this isn't actually the business from, okay, it actually is a good idea. But I'm just saying, like, this, the whole crypto land scheme, I just want to know, like, who has ever who's ever going to give them any of their money. I, I hope no one does, but God, am I glad that they paid whatever they paid to make that, um, a computer, you know, it's a really graphic good. segment because that was fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm looking now at their roadmap. We're going to wrap this up, but, uh, yes, they're in the stage, complete design and permits, finalize Island purchase and fundraise. <laughs> um, next, Oh, sorry. The the achieved things, architectural master plan, done, approval mm-hmm. in done. principal permits, island purchase agreement, crypto landers, NFT launch, done. Coming up soon, real island construction, metaverse development, implementing tokenization, staking models, etc. And then finally, finalizing construction on the island and finalizing metaverse development. In okay. tandem. Beautiful. Um, don't do this <laughs> but we will i we are gonna pitch a series about it to hulu immediately okay thanks 100 percent. um also if anybody wants to give me 319 eth then like i will buy a plot here and you can totally come and stay i'll Fair i'll enough. my my thing honestly there you go there you go um and i'm putting the link uh, that christina sent me to molly white's tweet thread in uh the show notes so you can read that which is exactly what i'm going to do after we're done here but for now, Christina, what are you doing this week? So I'm back at work. Uh, kind of, I've had kind of a weird. Uh, I had to take some days off um, because you know um, sickness is going around and whatnot. I'm fine, um, and so I'm just kind of getting back in the swing of things after being gone for a few weeks. That's that's it. And I'm dealing with the cold here in Seattle, so that's that's what I'm doing this week. Ish. You know, I also have a delicate little lady cold. It's mm-hmm. it's exciting. It's been a long time since I've had a cold. We have a, a I have a beautiful little a little cough, just a wee cough. I never even got a cough. Oh, I just had an earache, but no. yeah, oh. it's fine. How unfortunate. Um, every, every, but everyone be safe out there. Uh, yes, <laughs> because everyone's getting sick. So yeah, so that is a. Uh, that that is what I'm doing this week. Um and and I'm I'm uh tweeting nostalgic about both BlackBerry and um my, my crypto dreams and now I'm going to start writing a business plan for uh Crypto Bro House. Yeah. And you can trust us listeners. We're not going to scam you. I mean, no, I'm totally going to scam you. Just don't tell anybody else. Uh, and, yeah. and honestly, Crypto Bro House will be a real club. It'll just be full of people that you will probably never want to spend any time with. That sounds but fair. Thank you for being on, transparent. I I'm being completely transparent, but like so if you're listening to this podcast, you probably don't want to hang out there. But there are a lot of people who probably would. Like, honestly, maybe I can. We didn't even talk about our uh, our other patron saint. Um, um, uh, we work uh, uh, founder Adam. Um, Adam. Um, his new uh venture. He's he's back in the real estate game, doing luxury apartment complexes that. I'm not going to lie. I would probably live in one of. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We are going to save that for next week when Brie is back. We will say that when Brie is back. She'll definitely have words for it. Uh, This week, I am, I'm finishing up a video that's coming up on Thursday. And uh, other than that, 
just getting back in the the swing of of being home and trying to fix my freaking sleep schedule. <laughs> yes. Okay. Same. Because see, we're having the reverse problem where we got used to being on the opposite like time zones, and now my body thinks that it lives on the East Coast again. And I'm like, I'll be honest, my body for some reason when I was on the West Coast, I think just because. I was so everything going on. I was staying up reading to like three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning. So I got on Europe time and I'm still there. Oh, <laughs> and wow. I, okay. I want to come back. <laughs> no, I was going to say, yeah, because Europe time is. Let me sleep. All, I was going to say of all my time zones, that's probably my least favorite because I have access to the least amount of people. Like at least Australia time, I can still talk to people. Australia time is a great crapshoot. You never know who you're going to get with Australia time. Well, yeah, but the thing is, is that like 9 a.m. Australia is like 3 p.m. Pacific. So like you you can make that work. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas like noon Pacific is like one. It's like it's bad. It's like one o'clock in the morning in in um, Berlin. So, yeah, you have a very small window. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be working on coming back from that place. That's my job. Oh, I wish you luck. I, I want you. I want I want you to get sleep. So at least come 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 back to, you know, I, I say come back to Pacific time, but but I'm wishing you luck to get back to Eastern time. Like get get those five hours back or whatever. I'll take need. it. Whatever I can get, I'll take it. Uh where can we find you online? You can find me at uh Crypto Hot. No, I'm kidding. You can find me at <laughs> film underscore girl on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find the videos that I do at work at youtube.com slash Microsoft Developer. You can find me at youtube.com slash polygon and on Twitter and Instagram at doom quasar. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of rocket. If you liked it, I hope you give us a review on Apple podcasts. Cause that's a fun thing to do. Invest in stars for our podcast rating. <laughs> Thanks so much, everyone. This episode of rocket is terminated. Terminated. Terminated.